0: Okay, so we are in middle of this footnote, uh, footnote number five, in which we were talking about, I'm sorry, we were not in footnote number five, we're in footnote number four. And what we were up to is, let's see, we were on page 156. And what we were discussing is the fact that it is important to recognize that the, the primary reason that we are obedient to God's word is not because we recognize the truth in it on a personal level, or, or that it sounds very appealing to us, but rather out of a recognition that there is a God who has a primary force that has commanded us that this is what we should be doing. That being said, it is also important to try to figure out what the reasons are for the mitzvot, for the, for the uh, commandments that Hashem has given us. So we are on page 156, the third paragraph. Yet the Talmud, as well as later rabbinic authorities, provide support for inquiry into the spirit of the mitzvot. As the Rambam states, the laws of the Torah are by counsel from afar, from the great counselor, to correct the thoughts and set straight the actions. So the Rambam is obviously a primary proponent of this idea. The Rambam in his Moran Vuchim, in his Guide to the Perplexed, when he goes through the Ta'ameha mitzvot, the reasons for the mitzvot, occasionally will tell us, The reason why we have a specific mitzvah is because this was a historical uh, event that was happening amongst the non-Jews of the world, and God therefore said we need to step back from that type of event. For example, the law that men are not allowed to shave above their ear, right, so that they should have their peyot, right, that little uh, sideburn over here, right? The Rambam believes that the reason why we have that law is because the non-Jewish priests, we're not talking Catholic priests, we're talking pagan priests about 3,300 years ago, their custom was to shave like this. And since Hashem wants us to step away from that lifestyle, so therefore Hashem commanded us that we're not allowed to shave like that. In other words, if the Ramah is willing to entertain his possibilities that the mitzvot are coming because of a specific circumstance and a specific time period. Once that's the reason why the mitzvah comes into being though, we don't care anymore about what the reason is. We will still keep that mitzvah forever. Even if that specific circumstance no longer applies. In this instance, the friars, I think they still are friars that are that where they're here like that even today. Um, I mean, at least when I was a kid, that was the friar Tuck in, um, in Robin Hood that he, he had his hair like that. I don't know if they still do that. Um, okay, so to obey the law is crucial. At the same time, however, as we meditate on it, we seek to understand and rethink God's thoughts as expressed and symbolized in the mitzvahs. Just because the laws of the Torah are to the faithful Jew, the laws of God, he strives to trace in their underlying ideas the thoughts of the divine lawgiver. Even as the devout Jewish scientist or historian tries to discern in the events and miracles of nature and history, a revelation of God's wisdom and omnipotence. It's funny, I literally spoke about this with my daughters this morning on the way to school. In the chapters of our fathers, this past a uh, portion, each week between Pesach, Passover, and Shavuot, we read on Shabbat afternoon, we read one chapter of the Ethics of Our Fathers, which are the ethical teachings collected, uh, you know, from the, starting from the Achi Knesset HaGadolah, the Men of the Great Assembly, and going all the way down to the end of the time period of the Tannaim of the people who closed the Mishnah that was finished about, um, about 200, about 1800 years ago. And this week's chapter had a fascinating idea. It says, if someone is walking on the road and they turn aside from what they are doing to proclaim how beautiful a tree is, look how beautiful this tree is, right? It's a terrible punishment that they will receive for that. And at first glance, it's a very cryptic idea, especially considering we're not talking about someone who's saying, wow, this is just beautiful. They're actually pointing out, this is a beautiful tree, incredible what God has created. So they're doing this in a way to praise God and yet still they're going to be worthy of a punishment. It, it doesn't make any sense. So, so the idea is like this. The idea is that we can recognize God through his creations. We can look at the world that has been created and say, look at the incredible wisdom that God has in the creation. How you know everything comes for a very specific purpose and the, the, uh, the, the symbiotic nature of the world and the cycles that nature works with. And the fact that we are on the one planet that would have to have, you know, one out of, you know, the permutations that would have to come through for a planet to support intelligent life is one out of, I, I, they come up with a number, I don't know where they come up with the simulations from, but they haven't found it yet on any other planet. It's certainly very, diff, any other star, or anything, right? So it's certainly difficult to, to find the the um, the conditions to, to lead to intelligent life. So that would be one way to recognize God by looking at the world, or looking at the creation. But that's only looking at what he created and reverse engineering back. Well, this is, the creation, it must be a creator. We have a different opportunity, though. We can look at the Torah. And by looking at the Torah, we get a sense of what it is that God actually wants, right? And that is a far easier way to connect to God and a far deeper way to connect to God. That being said, it's also more abstract. It's only using your mind, right? It's not something that hits you when you just look at something that's beautiful. And therefore, we might have a a tendency to try to find God in the details of the physical world. And that can be easier sometimes to relate to, but it's not as effective as a long-term tool as it is to actually learn the Torah and through learning the Torah to get a glimpse into what the divine, I don't wanna call it the divine mind, because that's too much of an anthropomorphism, but into what the divine outlook is on our life and what the divine outlook is on the purpose of this world and the purpose of the Jewish people. So that is the most effective way to do that. That being said, if you don't think to yourself, how do I derive the divine outlook from the mitzvot, it's a missed opportunity. You can do the mitzvot just because it's the right thing to do. And that's good also. But if you don't try to figure out what is this mitzvah trying to convey to us, what's the specific value system, it's not the same thing. Rabbi Shamshon al Hirsch, it should be noted, followed in the footsteps of his great teacher, Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, the author of Oruch Laner, who wrote that what is demanded of the Jew is belief in Torah and mitzvos, the will to observe them, an action in carrying them out. Okay, so that's point number one, belief in it. Point number two, the will, the desire. Point number three is carrying out the mitzvot. And after he has done so, it is man's duty to study and inquire as far as his reason reaches to understand the reasons for the Torah. So it has to be grounded in a understanding that no matter what level of understanding I reach in my in my desire to get a understanding of what the purpose of a mitzvah is that will have no impact on my carrying out of the mitzvah or not. So what he says is, first, you have to have the belief. Then you have to have the will to observe them. And then you have to actually carry it out. Only after you've reached this level of security and stability in what you are doing in your daily life, then it is man's duty to study and inquire to understand the reasons. The Jew must remember at all times that his inquiries into Ta'ameha mitzvot, the reasons or purposes of the mitzvot, represent his own speculations, necessarily tentative and uncertain in nature. However, precisely because our observance of the precepts must be totally independent of our speculation about them, we have the fullest freedom to meditate and arrive at our own conclusions about the message that the mitzvot aim to convey to us. Right. In other words, if we recognize that our observance of the mitzvah is completely isolated and completely independent of whether or not we have an understanding, then we can do whatever we want in trying to understand what the mitzvah teaches us, because it's not relevant at the end of the day to why I do the mitzvah. Right. It can help me develop a deeper sense of connection to God. It can help me bring these lessons into my daily life and into the lives of the people around me. But it's not going to have an impact on whether or not I do the mitzvah. At the same time, of course, there are some important considerations to be kept in mind so that our speculation should not have the undesirable effects mentioned earlier. Earlier today, by the way, I was learning with that fellow, the high school um, senior, and we were reading the, the 19 letters. And I was talking about the idea that oftentimes we hear today where people will take um, Jewish values and behind the rubric of Jewish values, they will say whatever, whatever cause is dear to their hearts at the, at the moment. And I actually was thinking of your of your email, David, if you want, if you want to know the truth. Um, but basically what people will do is they'll, they'll sort of draw that bullseye beforehand, the value that they hold dear, the value that they hold to be ethical and moral. And then afterwards, they will paper it over by saying, oh, look, it's a Jewish value. What determines it to be a Jewish value? Well, doesn't Judaism value being kind? Yep. Judaism values being kind. OK, well, then this is being kind. It's a Jewish value. Right. It's a little bit silly, obviously. And that's the important part of recognizing is that the mitzvahs are the mitzvahs, independent of any of our speculation, independent of any of our assigning of different values and what it's supposed to be teaching us. The mitzvahs are the mitzvahs. They are just that. They are commandments from God. Now, if we can derive certain value systems and if it can help us in our observance, if it can help us in changing who we are as people, then what we say is "matov right? You know, "hinei matov You guys might be familiar with "matov" means how good, "manayim" means how pleasant, right? It comes from "hinei matov u'manayim." Shavasachim gam yachad, right? How beautiful it is when brothers are sitting around the fire. You know, that's that they sing traditionally at a at a kumsitz, at a you know, a, at the campfire in, in a Jewish day camp. Um, not day camp, sleepaway camp. That being said, we use this phrase now as a borrowed phrase to say this is something which is beautiful and pleasant. And that is certainly so about someone who is keeping all the mitzvahs because they recognize their their absolute obligation to do so. But at the same time, through their speculation and understanding and development and delving into the mitzvahs, they are getting a deeper connection to God. That That's even better. That, that's the best of both worlds. Okay. Take care, everyone. Be well. Have a good night.